A bill to crack down on employers who exploit immigrant workers is making its way through Parliament. The immigration minister said on introducing the legislation that the government was taking tough action to send the message that immigrant exploitation would not be tolerated in New Zealand. This insight highlight asks how bad the problem is in this country. Little research has been done into the scale of immigrant exploitation in New Zealand. We are aware from anecdotal evidence that this could be a growing issue for New Zealand, in particular in the area of migrant labour exploitation. But many are convinced the abuse of workers is becoming entrenched in society. This is becoming a systemic problem. This is not an isolated case. Leaving young women like this one working seven days a week while her employers hold on to her wages. I just tell them I need money. I need money. The my management, my one of the indigenous and one management, they they didn't tell me anything, and they just delayed the amount to the week, to the two weeks, to the fifteen days, to the twenty days for a month, and after a month. And each month, after a lots of requests and everything, they just prefer to give me the thousand and a fifteen hundred checks, something like this. I'm Philip Atali, and this insight explores immigrant exploitation and the protection available for vulnerable workers. Two organisations have been set up specifically to deal with what many fear is a worsening situation for new immigrants. We just decided that, as a union, what would be our contribution to. Assist and help these migrant workers. So we launched the Unimeg, the Union Network of Migrants. The founder so of that new network, Unimeg, Dennis Megar, tried to find out the extent of the problem by surveying small shops and businesses and takeaway food stores in Auckland. When we tried to speak to some employees and in, in some shops at North Shore, South Auckland, uh, we did not identify ourselves as union organizer. We just simply actually make a joke that, oh, you must be earning a good money there. And then we were actually surprised that none of them had been paid accordingly through the minimum employment law. And, and most of them actually, they feel that uh, it's not my problem right now because I've been promised by my employer that they'll be helping me to renew my work visa and apply for a permanent residency. This immigration adviser, who doesn't want to be named as he fears his clients may come under scrutiny, says he knows of at least two cases where people were, in effect, being asked to pay for their jobs. In one case, I had a client who was employed. Uh, the employer changed, the business changed hands. The new employer asked for a consideration, which was quite considerable, it was $20,000. Uh, the client came to me and said, look, I've been asked for $20,000 to continue in this job, and my advice to her immediately was find a new job. I had a young girl about three weeks ago who came to see me. She was looking for a work visa, and I said, well, you need to find a job. Her type of requirement was that she had a job that was relevant to her qualifications. Uh, she said she'd been applying for jobs, and one employer had asked her to pay $35,000. An employment advocate who works in Auckland, May Moncur, says among her clients she's seen a steady rise in the number of overseas workers coming to her for help. Many migrant employees, particularly newcomers uh, to this country, know very little about their employment rights in New Zealand. So they often undertake employment within their own community and work for small employers from the same ethnic background. And the breaches by the breaches of the employment law within the migrant communities tend to be more serious and deliberate. 
and this is the problem. Some employers actually they knowingly, you know, taking actions to breach the implement law because that can bring more profit. Immigration New Zealand's fraud and compliance manager Peter Elms isn't convinced the incidence of immigrant worker exploitation is growing, but he does think there's a greater understanding of the size of the problem. The scale that I'm referring to is, is probably the volume of exploitation, and there's, uh, we've seen over recent times there's, uh, there's allegations of exploitation in industry, uh, high-risk industry groups, uh, in particular of, of note is the fishing industry and underpayment of uh, minimum wages in that industry. But we've also got high-risk industry groups in the horticulture area, the viticulture area, uh, that attract large numbers of uh, low-skilled workers in the seasons. Some of the uh, food and beverage industry, you know, some of the, uh, um, the low-skilled industries in, in the city centre. So those are the areas that are more prone to employers exploiting uh, migrant labour. Immigration says it does want to tackle the issue and is targeting the worst offending employers. The Labour Inspectorate believes it sent a strong message to those running rackets with a case in Nelson involving the horticulture industry. A contractor was found guilty of hiring unlawful migrant workers who were all paid below the minimum wage, currently $13.75 an hour. Well, one of the employees uh, who's from Malaysia contacted us actually to ask some questions about work entitlement um, and um, we arranged for him to come into the office and sat down and had a, had a chat with him. That's how it sort of all started off. An Immigration New Zealand compliance officer, Philip Platt, was involved in following up that first approach. Well, there was a group of workers, there was some from Indonesia and some from Malaysia who were... Um, I suppose, billeted together on a property over in Tasman working for this particular contractor. Um, and I guess as time went on, they found out that they weren't uh, getting delivered what was being promised. And uh, I think after some time of being promised their full wages or, or et cetera, et cetera, um, I think they just sort of had enough. It turned out the contractor was a familiar face. In this particular case, we had a previous interaction with this employer and he really had no excuse for not knowing the rules. Ben Tuan Lam from Vietnam, who has New Zealand residency, pleaded guilty to five charges under the Immigration Act of aiding and abetting people to remain in New Zealand unlawfully. He was sentenced to nine months home detention, 200 hours community work and ordered to pay reparation of $10,000. A Labour inspector analysis estimated the men were owed between five dollars and $7,000 each. Philip Platt says cultural and language difficulties can both play a part in putting workers at a disadvantage. It's very difficult because a lot of these people come from countries where they don't have employment agreements and they're not sure what the rules are. Um, and, um, you know, we, we try and put out as much information as we can, but essentially we, we are relying on the employers giving the employees the right information. The difficulties created by language barriers have led to this Chinese woman running into difficulties with her former employer despite being a New Zealand citizen. Speaking to me in Wellington's central city, she told me there are many good employers in her community, but almost every ethnic group, not just the Chinese, has business owners who treat staff poorly. She says people arrive here with very little knowledge about their rights, and turning to their own community is the easiest option. don't understand. I tell the first. Maybe the years by years, right now, I understand, because my job is quite special. I understand that I needed to learn, and now I know uh, where I can do, where I can go, who I can ask. She feels in her case she was only employed to fulfil a business case, 
put forward as part of an application for a business visa. Despite living here for 10 years, she's still overwhelmed by her battle against what she thinks was unfair dismissal and wonders if she should just give up. Like my situation, at first I think, oh, okay, just like the goal, because it makes me so difficult. I'm thinking, when I'm thinking the situation, I'm anxiety. After the situation, the, the doctor said, you, you are very, very deeply anxiety. You need, when you're talking about this, you, the tears just down. One group determined to stay and follow its case through to the end is made up of the three remaining men from the fishing crew who walked off a Korean vessel chartered by a Timaru-based company. Even though new codes have been introduced, the men say they've been forced to work long hours and have been verbally abused. One crew member, Anto Fantanto, told a translator that he'd worked on the boat for a long time, but not only had the conditions not improved, the work was increasing to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. Especially on the last trip, there is a long hours of work, but when we have to sign the, the time record. It's a different Usually from the record of the company, we always uh, work only six hours, but actually we work more than that. Uh, uh, average will be 12 to 16 hours. And the last trip, uh, total uh, hours uh, record by the company is around 200. But actually we work uh, over 400 hours. Another fisherman, Suprianto, says the vessel officers treated the crew with scant respect. We've never been called by our names, but they call us uh, user animals' names, such as uh, dogs. Pig, he says they were threatened with a sack, with officers saying that if they didn't want to do what they were asked to do, they could just go home. The fishing company involved in the case did not want to make any comment. But Peter Elms from Immigration New Zealand says there's been a whole change to the way government agencies monitor working conditions in the fishing industry. You don't change an industry like that overnight. You have to work with them. And there have been some significant improvements. There's been an appetite to improve the standards on those vessels. But the visibility of the issues have been lifted because of this attention. And that means that crews are now more confident in coming forward and reporting issues from their perspective. And that's what we've seen of late. And certainly the two instances of crews walking off vessels of late have been well investigated and are currently kind of following a path towards some action. The crew are being looked after by the Anglican Church in Christchurch. The director of its social justice unit, Julian White, says it's not only what goes on on the boats that is possibly fraudulent, but practices in the crew's home country as well. He says various debt bonds are still often being held to ensure good behaviour and to secure the jobs in the first place. There's no way they can justify doing it, but they continue to do so and, and the onus now is on a New Zealand company to ensure that it's not happening. But the collateral is all sorts of things. It can be um, their passports being held, it can be the title deeds to their house or to anything else that they own. Um, in some cases it's up to $10,000 US that they are then charged as a debt if they leave the boat for any reason. Um, I mean there's no end to the imagination with which um, charges and collateral are being made against crew coming here. 
Julian White says sometimes employers here are shown different agreements and are unaware of the actual arrangements. He says while such practices are known to have gone on in the fishing industry, anecdotal stories suggest there could be similar issues in the dairy industry and perhaps with rest home workers as well. Peter Elms wants to, as he puts it, lift the lid on the whole issue and encourage people to come forward and to report wrongdoing. The biggest issue uh, traditionally in the past is that it is a hidden crime because many of the migrant labour uh, who are exploited are contravening their visa. And so they realise that should they blow the whistle, then the likelihood is that they will get deported. And, of course, that's what's used by some of these unscrupulous employers to coerce them into working more. So given that, how do you lift the lid? Uh, So we need to raise awareness, and that's talking openly about exploitation, not shying away from the issue. It goes on. It goes on in our cities. It goes on in our towns. We need to be aware of it. We need to raise the flag when we come across it, and we need to encourage the victims of exploitation to come forward. But May Moncur says the system where work visas are tied to one job gives managers too much influence. Because a temporary work visa is often sponsored by an by employer, so migrant workers know if they raise a personal grievance and, and complain about their maltreatment, this could often lead to the termination of their employment. So they have no protection over their immigration status. So they tend not to complain about uh, any labour issues. So this gives undue power to their employer? Absolutely, because, you know, like the case I took on yesterday, the employee had not been paid for months, so he complained about this. What the employer's response is, if you don't want work, if you can't take it, I'll cancel your visa. See, this is a very powerful, you know, powerful, you know, uh, techniques, uh, you know, very uh, common techniques used by the employer, intimidating the employee, and it works. Her viewpoint is supported by the group Stop the Traffic Aotearoa. Its coordinator, Chris Fraser, who is also the social justice advocate for the Salvation Army's policy and parliamentary unit, believes work visas give too much power to the employer. I've just read an excellent report written by the International Labour Organization looking at just this issue of labour exploitation, in particular to do with migrants. And one of the comments they make there is where a migrant comes into a country and is tied to one employer, then this is open to being exploited and it leaves the uh, worker in an incredibly vulnerable position and I believe that does need to be looked at. Dennis Magar from the Union Network of Migrants would like greater scrutiny of those who employ people from overseas on such special visas. Do we have a system or do we have actually a, a resources that we can use to monitor these employers who are hiring foreign workers? As of now, we've been asking the Immigration New Zealand if ever they do have, and there is none. The Labour section of the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment started recording whether a complaint or investigation involved a migrant worker only in July 2012. Peter Elms wants victims to be able to make a complaint free from fear. The people that we want to target here are the the criminals, the, the employers, the unscrupulous employers who are abusing people. That's the focus. And it's not the individuals who are the victims. He says people can make a complaint anonymously if need be to places such as Immigration New Zealand contact centres or the service Crime Stoppers.
Mr Elm says special limited visas are available to support people who complain so that they are not suddenly left with no right to be in the country. But May Moncur said there is huge pressure from within communities not to speak out, not to lose face. She says she's been abused on websites, subtly threatened and offered gifts in exchange for dropping a case. This Pacifica woman, who ended up overstaying after a study visa ended, says she was taken advantage of by someone offering to help while she obtained a work visa. She was paid under the table, and many weeks she ended up getting about $4 an hour. I got 200 working for um, 50 hours a week. Yeah, it was from Monday to, Monday to um, Tuesday to Sunday. And she found herself vulnerable in other ways as well. Yeah, and things was getting really worse day by day. And then it came to a point that he started um, doing sexual harassment and um, doing things that was not supposed to be done at um, the workplace. It was finally a New Zealand colleague who stepped in, telling her she shouldn't be treated in such a way and supporting her as she got help. She now has a work visa and is looking for a job. But some employers are not just trying to get cheap workers, they want free labour and have been known to ask people to work trial periods, or in the case of this student, Dean, sign on as a volunteer. He applied for a paid job in marketing at a company running a website, but was told that he needed to volunteer for a while to get experience. I, I didn't think more at that moment. I just uh, did it as they show me. I think. So what did you think you were signing? Did you think you were signing a job? Yes, yes. And... Uh, I think I, I tell them, I come here, I want to uh, got the pay. Actually, I, I didn't want to become to, uh, a volunteer. Despite promises of marketing training, Dean's tasks were much more menial. The cleaning and the carry. For example, the business car is broken. I went to the parking, parking lot to change the tire. Although being told that he did well on his first volunteer contract, Dean was again offered a volunteer agreement and not paid work. Despite what sometimes appear to be quite extreme cases of maltreatment, Immigration New Zealand says it's mostly wrong to use labels such as trafficking and smuggling, which are serious criminal offences. There's a major difference between the two offences. Trafficking is forcing people to move here against their will, with smuggling, individuals who want to move pay for help to get around the system. Both carry sentences of up to 20 years. No charge of trafficking has ever been laid, and the only successful charge of smuggling was brought in 2006. In the near future, large numbers of arrivals from overseas are likely to be legal ones, as staff from many countries are recruited for the Christchurch rebuild. But the building industry is also implicated in the exploitation of workers. At least one contractor in Auckland employing staff from a whole range of nations, including Eastern Europe and parts of the Middle East, appears to be misusing workers. The story of one employee is told here by a friend. He got a work visa from a construction company owned by some East European guy. Well, he's been working quite hard from 6 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock in the afternoon and Saturdays, and on pretty much every time on call, getting paid 
pretty much once a month, even though he was supposed to be paid once a week and the wage only for one week. Uh, he was asked to do all sorts of odd jobs for friends of the owner and friends of friends of the owner, obviously, without being paid anything, sometimes including cleaning someone's house. The Auckland hospitality industry has also been investigated numerous times. This young woman, who also wishes to remain anonymous, was employed on a work visa after finishing her studies here. She says her pay was irregular and her visa status was threatened when she tried to get the money she was owed and time off. They just tell, if you want to work, work, carry on, it's your wish. If you don't want to work, no need to come on work, leave the job. I will cancel your visa, I will do like this, I have a loss of power, I will deport you like this. Then I was just a little bit, I was literally afraid and I was very depressed and I can't sleep for a whole night and I was crying a lot because of my mum and dad is not here to help me. Her parents have already spent nearly 30,000 New Zealand dollars in paying for education and living costs here. If she's sent back to India, she says her life will be totally spoiled. She says she still owed nearly $11,000 in unpaid wages. Unimeg's Dennis Magar says in the area of minimum employment standards such as pay, rest breaks and days off, the government needs to do more. We don't think that the government is doing enough to address this. We, we do think that there's, there's something that the government can do, but this is not their priority at the moment. He says for immigrants, such abusive situations can devastate their lives, but employers often get a company fine and life goes on. Employment advocate May Moncur is adamant that law change is needed to make individuals accountable, as employers can just close one company and continue to run the business under another company, while at the same time using delaying tactics. She says she's won three cases highlighted in the media, but her clients have yet to be paid. To her, the current system is toothless. So real consequences are needed and effective enforcement must be possible. And migrant employees can be hurt again by winning their rights on the paper, then finding out that it is too difficult for them to enforce authority's decision. Under the current legislation, it is too easy for employer to avoid any real consequences. So I think New Zealand is getting a reputation of, you know, dodgy employers can get away with it. The Labour Minister Simon Bridges acknowledges that there are disadvantages with the company system and that people can just walk away. But he says there are good reasons for keeping it sacrosanct. Where individuals have exploited workers, um, and, and particularly in this context, uh, migrant workers, look, there should be redress at law. My understanding currently is that uh, you can get at individuals, that there are laws and regulations that do allow that to some extent. But Immigration's Peter Elms recognises that many victims are just too scared to report wrongdoing for fear of losing the right to be in New Zealand. And the agency is moving towards extra support for those who do step forward. Whilst New Zealand uh, Immigration uh, already adopts a practice of, uh, of legalising the status of individuals who come forward and assist us in prosecutions, it's not widely known. And so what we're saying here is that we've done, undertaken a review of our policy. There's some recommendations that have come out of that review. Those recommendations uh, will lead to some changes. But it's not just individuals who suffer through such fraudulent practices, but also the economy. 
May Moncur argues that businesses operating on the basis of cheap labour and poor work conditions are unfair competition to more legitimate businesses. For employers, actually, it's a very lucrative business. If you employ uh, someone, paying them eight dollars, so you save more than five dollars. If these employees they work forty hours, so you save over two hundred dollars. So it's not a small issue. It affects everybody. Affected migrants, affected TV employers, affected good migrant employers, affect New Zealand you know, economy. Simon Bridges agrees that there are strong arguments against exploitation from a commercial perspective. Unimeg's Dennis Magar thinks New Zealanders aren't happy with the thought that profiteering is going on in their communities. Kiwis actually do care, um, and that's one thing I observe in this country, and I'm very proud of that. I'm living in a country where, where Kiwis are actually active on this. In fact, in most cases that we receive from the community, they've been actually helped by Kiwis, not simply from the community of migrants, but there were actually Kiwis who approached us that I do have a, a Chinese friend, an Indian friend, a Filipino friend that had been exploited. Can you help them out? The Labour Minister, Simon Bridges, agrees, saying New Zealand is a fair and egalitarian nation. New Zealand has been confronted with migrant worker exploitation. Actually, probably like me, have a pretty strong, visceral response to it. But employment advocate May Moncur says that response needs to be translated into action and that while exploitative practices continue, victims will often end up devastated with their futures in shreds. This kind of experience, you make migrants come to a country with full of hope, then all of a sudden find they are in a vulnerable, hopeless situation. You destroy their dream, destroy their life. That program was by Insights' Philippa Tolley.